This episode contains content that might not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. This is Breaking Bread with Brilliant Babes. I'm your host, Tatiana Jimenez. We're recording today from my tiny apartment in San Francisco, and I'm joined remotely by Tracy Maderos Bagan. Hi, Tracy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show. For any first-time listeners out there, our purpose is to shed some light on everyday people doing brilliant things. I typically invite them into my home, cook a meal, and then we eat together and chat about their careers and how they got where they are today. Today, I'm over here in my apartment enjoying what I'm calling Jenna's Magical Farrow and Corn Salad, a salad that my friend made last weekend (laughs) that I'm obsessed with. And um, Tracy is in Palm Springs right now enjoying a martini that she will (laughs) talk more about. (laughs) And she is a marriage and family therapist whose work focuses on the LGBTQ kink non-monogamous sex worker and adult industry community in Orange County, California. So Tracy, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing currently and your career history up until this point? Absolutely. And great job. That was a mouthful, both my name and my <laughs> list of things. Yeah. So I, I was a gender study, critical gender studies undergrad with a focus in sexuality at UC San Diego. And then my master's degree is in counseling psychology. So that's probably the most direct route to where I'm going. But along the way, some other things, great coffee and retail. And then uh, how Tatiana and I, how we met, right, was through Craft World. So I had uh, for a I guess not that short, maybe a few years, I had a little bit of a craft empire making crocheted headphones, which was uh, lovely. And I got to meet so many cool people and do so many cool things. I did a little stint in actually the egg donation and surrogacy industry as an LGBT coordinator. And then, yeah, and then got into, I was at UC Irvine for a while doing some admin work and decided to go back to school, which I feel like counseling was always something that was sort of, sort of chasing me. I'm definitely that friend. I'm like the listener and all that. And so um, when I came to counseling, I I had a, like a little think about whether it was a good time and whether I wanted something that would like balance my energy. I think that's really important. So even though for a long time I thought maybe I would do counseling, I actually waited till quite a few years. I'm trying to think when I went back to school. I was in my mid-20s when I actually went back for grad school. And it was not until that time that I felt like I could do healing work in like the helping fields in a way that was sustainable and clear and good for me. Since I've been back, I just, I love it. It's been so good. I've gotten to do work in the communities that I really love and care about. And I've got to do, I feel like I do sort of one-on-one, you know, activism work and education and all of that. And that's really what works for my energy. There are so many things that I like want to do and change, especially in this day and age, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, this was a way that I could do it that felt good to me. So that's how I came to counseling. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because I think you mentioned that you went to UC San Diego. You didn't go to school for psychology, right? Did it. Yeah. Yeah. So I came to all, basically all those all the communities after my Mm -hmm. license, after the letters that I work in, that's really what I got to go to school. And I got to go to school 
I joke that it was not a career, a direct career path that I'm sure it drove my parents crazy, but uh, I feel really lucky that I got to kind of major in like who I am and who everyone is in this world. And so now in counseling life, I basically, I I say that that's how I connect all those communities. It seems like really wide scoping and how do those all connect and what, you know, what is the connecting factor and how I see it as a lot of identity solidification work. Mm-hmm. and helping folks feel really good and like they have a lot of agency in who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I see the connection. Yeah. That's really interesting also to be, I mean, I'm sure. So I also went to school in Orange County and, and I know that it's probably changed a lot since I've been there, you know, like 10 years ago, but it's historically a very conservative place. So it must be an interesting place to do the type of work you do um, and I know you were just recently here in San Francisco doing um, a conscious kink yoga class, which I went to with Caitlin, <laughs> co-producer Caitlin. <laughs> it was really cool. But like, you know, to, to see a class pop up like that in San Francisco is pretty normal. But like, <laughs> you know, do you get do you get a lot of interest in Orange County yeah, so it's really interesting. I always tell folks like the orange curtain can be heavy, which I think anyone who's uh-huh. ever been in Orange County knows that. But like, there's to- there's so I mean, there's queer folks there, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, and and not just unfortunately, also parts of Orange County have really challenging histories with not sex work, and I want to distinguish the two, but like sex trafficking and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting, and it has to do. I mean, I'm not the the, the expert in that, but has to do with a lot of like different things and um, SES stuff and, and what have you. So uh, that happens, but also there's like all this, this queerness and I'm using queerness mm-hmm. right now as sort of an umbrella term. So I want to note that. And I really love the word queer. I know it's a word sort of of not even probably my generation, maybe even the folks younger than me more than before me and even kind of in my age range. And I'm born in 84, so I'm 34. So around our age range, that's still kind of a word that's on the line. So I want to, I want to note that it's not a word everyone uses, but I use queer. I like to use queer as sort of the other and the margins and how we connect with each other in the margins. And so that's why I really love that word. Mm-hmm. So anyways, at any rate, lots <laughs> of queer folks in Orange County. Yeah. Um, And I think like what has been really cool is as I got into my field and I was a little bit worried about kind of what that looks like in Orange County and could I do it in Orange County. But I also grew up in Orange County and I'm like, I could have used more reflections. And I I still like I love when I meet like just adult queers. I'm like, oh, there's they're adulting. Like it's amazing. Right inspiration point to see people doing what they love. And sometimes I think folks just living their life and doing what they love is a queerness in and of itself when we have so many responsibilities in this day and age. Yeah. And so I found, I've been really lucky. Like I don't see everyone in Orange County. Certainly I'm sure that I'm not the norm by any scope of the imagination. However, I think the folks that come to me are really looking for something. Mm -hmm. So it's been amazing. I feel like my practice has really grown pretty quickly with me, you know, not, not doing much. I'm not great at technology or social media and, you know, I do what I can, Uh but I, you know, it's not really my bag. I'm totally a counselor, introvert, healer. And like, I, I'm all those like very sensitive, like person. (laughs) So I fit all those categories. Uh So the internet is really not my jam. Um, and I work with folks that are a lot of young queer folks. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that they can find me in this space, I think, speaks to the fact that there's a need for it in Orange County. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, 
And I love that you grew up in Orange County and you're just, you know, this is your way of giving back to your community and identifying a need. Um, and I, I really love that. I think that's very oh. cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard. And I speak to a lot of folks around, do they want to be here or not? And is our, some of my county work is surrounding helping folks like get out of Orange County, right? And find places that really suit them. Mm-hmm. But I think there's, there's a need for both. You yeah. know, we are, it's important for us to go find a reflection out in the world. And sometimes it's really empowering to build it. So yeah. I feel really lucky to be doing the work that I'm doing. It's totally selfish. No. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> awesome. So along your journey, was there a moment when you felt like you really broke into your industry, whether it was therapy or, um, you know, counseling, healing, or role? Yes. So I I think this past, well, a couple of times. So this past winter, I actually had to start a wait list for my practice. Wow. For my private practice in Orange County, which was, I don't know, so rad and affirming. And I, you know, and also hard because I, I wanted to see more people and I had to have, it was the first time I had to ask folks, oh, do you want to wait a little bit? Or, you know, I, I'm always really encouraging for folks to get in with other providers that I know. And I try to help folks network and be a hub of resources, but that was this really amazing piece for me because not only is my practice what it is <laughs> in Orange County, um, you know, it's this little queer, queer therapy practice in Orange County, but I also run it on a slide. I run it, you know, in a way that I want to be able to see the folks that need it. And not only did I, was I able to start a wait list, but that my practice has been self-sustaining, meaning that the communities that I work with have sustained each other. Like I have asked folks to show up and to pay what they can. And for me to be really honest and transparent and say like what slide spots I have open in my practice at any particular time. Mm-hmm. And that has worked out. I mean, in Orange County, where we pay buku money for crazy things we don't need, right? Yeah. And I've asked folks to come and show up and to do mental health work, right? And to do self-exploration work. And they've come and they showed up in a way that my practice has always evened out. And so I think I feel so, so proud of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just think it says so much about the communities that I work with and, you know, how invested they are in in not just their healing, but in making like better space for each other. Yeah. That's really wonderful that like you're it, to me, it sounds like your breakout moment is really not just about you, but it's about your community, like coming together. That's wonderful. And as a Pisces, it makes me want to cry. <laughs> so that's really beautiful. <laughs> we Pisces are very sensitive. <laughs> you're, you're in good company. <laughs> Um, so first of all, how long have you been practicing as a marriage and family therapist? So I've been practicing, I've been in like my own kind of license in my own private practice own office for a couple of years. And then I did about a year where I was out basically in private practice, but for therapists, there's a lot of hours we do after. And mm. so with another therapist as my supervisor. And prior to that, I was working at our LGBT center in Orange County, which Oh, Orange cool. has an LGBT center. So in case folks didn't know, sometimes <laughs> folks are surprised, sometimes they aren't. Uh-huh. But we have an LGBT center. So I um, did my practicum and traineeship there. Uh, so all in total, probably like seven years or so, seven, almost eight years now. Wow. Um, but yeah, but like a couple of years where I've been out completely on my own. Very cool. So in this time that you've been on your own or maybe before, 
did you have a mentor and are you now in a place where you feel like you can mentor others? Yeah. I mean, I think I've had a couple, I think my, so I was fortunate enough through a friend of mine to get uh, linked into a really wonderful feminist therapist, which feminist therapy is also something you probably don't see on a lot of psychology today uh, profiles. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my therapist, I love um, Tammy Preston, who's in Long Beach, um, and I highly recommend her. <laughs> and it's totally fine to say, like, that's who I see, and uh, she's wonderful. Uh, was so helpful for me, I think, coming out of school and really trying to build a practice that didn't look like a lot of the folks, a lot of my peers at the time, you know, what I was looking to go out and do. And so uh, she was definitely very, very helpful in that. I also was just really lucky to be surrounded by a lot of good folks at the center, just my colleagues that were going through school with me and uh, really trying to to make space for the LGBT community. And even though I branched out to even some marginalized communities from there, <laughs> outside of that community, mm-hmm. I felt really lucky to have them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, this totally isn't like a, I don't know, I'm just going to say it, I'm not going to qualify, but I, I think my clients have been so lovely. Like I, I come into a little snippet about feminist therapy is that it is an, like the, the goal is to have an egalitarian practice with the understanding that there are power dynamics. When you come into therapy, mm-hmm. there is a therapist and there's a client and we all exist in the culture where we like go into see service providers and they're kind of the expert. I'm making finger quotes on the podcast. So there were, there were finger quotes around expert <laughs> for podcast listeners. Um, and, you know, so so feminist therapy, what we try to do is to note that, but to also sort of invite folks in as equals. And I think that that has been so serving to me, not only is it what I believe in in terms of therapeutic practice, but it's been so serving to me as a clinician um, and as in like still a relatively young clinician, even though I've been working in queer community for like over a decade, my therapy practice has not been that long. And so, you know, coming into that space and knowing I don't have to know, I'm not going to be the expert in all these people's lives because everyone has very unique lives and journeys, but I'm supposed to help facilitate their healing process and facilitate their self-exploration. Mm-hmm. I think that has been so serving to me. Mm-hmm. And so Getting that, I mean, really all my clients have done that for me. Not Mm -hmm. that by any means I expect them to educate me, because I think that's not an okay thing providers sometimes do, but that I I try to, you know, take in kind of what I'm learning from them and feel really grateful for witnessing their journeys. Yeah, that's wonderful. It sounds like you're very involved with the the LGBTQ community. Do you see maybe like, I don't want to call it a trend, but just more people wanting to focus on that specific community in Orange County and maybe like do you guys have like a I don't know if a coalition is the right word but just like a like a group of like similar minded people like therapists specifically coming together absolutely which I think is really wonderful there Mm -hmm. are folks definitely that are more interested in trying to do that and Yeah. yeah I wouldn't call it I don't know. I, I guess I can't speak to how fast that upswing is maybe, okay. but there are certainly folks in Orange County that are trying to do that. And mm-hmm. there's a couple of places I think we gather. I think a lot of folks have come through some of the centers. So both Orange County and we're also pretty close to Long Beach and even the, like the North County uh, San Diego center. Okay. And so folks kind of like rotate through there um, and the LA center, of course. And, you know, then I think 
also the clinicians that uh, come through, we try to, there's like a Facebook group and we try to check in with one another. Mm. And I, I at least feel, and I, you know, I can't speak for all the clinicians, of course, but I feel that we're still at a place in Orange County that it serves us more to be linked into one another. Mm-hmm. And so I really try to do that whenever possible. Mm. I'm not going to be the perfect fit for every client. You right. know, even yeah. the letters I work with. So I try to reach out to folks as much as possible and to do that. And then in my own little personal network, I definitely think that's important for me as like my own self-care as a clinician mm-hmm. and my own competence. So uh, actually, the there's a there's a Tracy Clark next door to me who uh, is also a therapist and works uh-huh. with similar communities. And so we have that and we run our own consult group together just to kind of check in with one another and make sure we're taking good care of folks. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Moving along to the next question, what was your biggest career obstacle so far slash shittiest moment? <laughs> so this is the one that I, I mentioned to you earlier. I was like, I know I have to come back to this. <laughs> I don't know if in my career career, I feel like I've had a shittiest moment. Okay. Uh, but I guess I'm thinking of that as like in terms of with my clients and in my practice. Mm-hmm. Certainly along the way, I think there are struggles around how much attention there is for the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what that, what that looks like within organizations, within, you know, where money gets put to, and all of that, I think in any kind of marginalized community and folks that do educational work, we are a lot of times expected to do work for free mm. and then are not even kind of like held in very high regard as we do it. So I've had a couple of those little blips along the way. Uh, but in terms of my clients and my practice, I, I haven't really had that. I certainly have hard days because mm. I cure a lot of trauma, yeah. you know, but I, God, I'm like so off like always in reverence of people's resilience, like constantly in reverence of humans, Um, which I know that doesn't happen for every clinician. I hear a lot of clinicians that get really burnt out and I feel so lucky that there's so many days where I'm tired and exhausted, Uh but sort of my reverence, at least to this point has not ceased. Um, It's always been very uplifting, even when I come out of hard sessions. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. I hope it continues to be that way for you. Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay. a mix of yoga and martinis, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, as a like mental health professional and a yoga instructor, which we'll get into later. Yeah. I think you, it, it's great that like you have the tools that you're helping people. Yeah. Helping people realize. So like, it sounds like you're using the same tools <laughs> yeah. and they're working for you, which is terrific. <laughs> I think that's so important. Like, self-care for clinicians is so important. Mm-hmm. I think that when you hear things that go awry, it's totally folks that are set and not taking good care of themselves. You yeah. know, that's where things get kind of not great, where boundaries get crossed and things like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, what was your biggest opportunity so far slash best moment? Best moment by far, was uh, it was like a year and a half, maybe a couple of years ago, that just by luck, one of my clients was super lovely in referring me to one of, um, to like a younger person, like a, like a young undergrad in college, 
who looked at my website and they passed on to me. I think this is okay to say just generally that they were like, Oh, like they look, I can't remember. It was like fucking rad or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to myself, I was like, wow, I feel like an undergrad me, like little queer human in college thinks I'm doing okay. Like I'm fucking making it. Yeah. The youth that is like beyond any sort of like wonderful award or anything I could ever get. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I feel so old and so not cool most days. Um, and I think I felt old and not cool even when I was actually, I mean, not that I'm old now, but even when I was younger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I like, I thought like, you know what, like that, that feels like I'm making it. And every time wow. I get to do something wonderful and kind of ridiculous, like a conscious kink yoga class, I come home and I'm like, oh yeah, I totally talked about handstands and neti pots and... <laughs> I was like, all that. I'm like, I'm kind of making it, I feel. Um, (laughs) I think the cool thing this, especially this year, I think, maybe the past year and a half, I've been getting sort of folks reaching out from media outlets within within the communities I work in. Mm -hmm. So knowing that folks are checking in and want to check in about things that I feel like are really important, like queerness and healing and um, sex worker self-care and all of that has been really, really lovely. So I've gotten to do like a couple cool interviews for Auto Straddle Straddle and Why Not Cam. And um, just recently I got to do a talk for Everyday Feminism. And I have another one coming up. And so that has been really lovely. Yeah, my Everyday Feminism talk that happened um, a couple months ago was on uh, sex and dating after trauma. Such a heavy topic, but like, totally this wonderful culmination of all the things that I very much believe in somatic work and healing and sex positivity Mm -hmm. uh, and to let to have an outlet to do that and talk about the complexity of that with trauma for an outlet like everyday feminism that is just trying to you know keep independent media and all that good stuff alive was yeah it was wonderful so that was a nice little like external gold star for me. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And then it goes back to, I know earlier you said that you're like, quote unquote, not cool and not good with social media and stuff. But I think, I think there's something to be said about you are good at getting your, your message out there. Because like in the in the therapist community, like I've read psychology today, I know that they have their like, their index of therapists. So it's interesting to me to that there is a lot of marketing involved in your job and putting out there that you work with sex workers and with these very specific communities, because like those are pretty vulnerable communities. And like, I imagine that, I mean, just when I like look for a primary care physician, I'm like, I want to find a woman a so like that's like the first thing I look for but for these very vulnerable communities like you want to know that the therapist you're working with knows how to like knows your struggle and will be able to help you so I think there is some marketing involved in that and I think it sounds like you've done a really great job at just putting out there that you are you know there for those groups of people I don't know. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I think, well, full disclosure, right? Like that I have, my partner's a marketing director, so I get a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the good stuff you see is probably her. But, um, but aside from that, I think what I really believe in in terms of that, that how our providers showing up side of it is that I think visibility is so important. 
And we're asking folks to come do healing work, like he said, around really marginalized identities and spaces. Mm-hmm. If I am like as a clinician, I'm afraid that I'm gonna get backlash or posting that like that's who I work with on my site, then you know there's sort of like an energetic vibe that's already happening. Mm-hmm. So I certainly believe in that and I think it's really important. I tell folks when they look for clinicians to like look at the folks that are speaking directly to you. They should be. You're hiring them. (laughs) They're doing healing work with you, right? Mm -hmm. And so we forget that we can ask that of our providers and we should be interviewing them. And so, yeah, I I often think that visibility is sort of the least I can do to show up for those communities and say, I work with you, you know? And, And I feel lucky that, again, that's always, my practice has always been abundant. And I think- it's because, well, A, life is hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always trying to work myself out of a job. I would love to do that one day. But I think also because folks come looking for looking for providers and providers sometimes get really nervous is sort of the business side of it, mm-hmm. that if I don't say that I work with everybody, then I'm not going to have a full practice. Mm-hmm. But it's that, um, you know, it's like the, what do you call it? That like pocket knife that does 16 things, like not great. Mm-hmm. You know, versus like having a tool that does like what it's supposed to do. And that's what it's made for. And so I think that's really important. It says a lot to the folks that are, that are looking at that. So I'm glad that came across. Are you enjoying the podcast? Whether you're listening to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review and or a rating. This helps other listeners find our show in the abyss that is the internet. We'd greatly appreciate it. And thanks so much for tuning in. So this is the part of the show where I like to talk about what I call hidden talents. So things that are significant to our lives that we might not add to our resumes or are necessarily work-related. So what I know about you and what you've talked about a lot is just your veganism and your love of all things (laughs) plant-based. That's the only way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. (laughs) Yes. And I have to do full disclosure. And I always feel sad about this because there's, you may not know this, right? Vegan folks will know this, Uh that there's like those memes about like never trust an ex-vegan. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, (laughs) No. (laughs) I totally like snickered at them, right? Um, But this past year, I have to admit, I did start eating honey. Um, And I, uh, I have had, I'm, you ate with me. I'm not like super mm-hmm. not vegan, but like yeah. I'm not completely vegan anymore. So I'm coding myself as vegetarian. But yes, I love veganism yes. and I hope the vegans will forgive me at any uh-huh. rate. <laughs> so I that full disclosure. But I think that my secret talent, which is really important to sort of me and my personal, my, my culture, my background is that when I went vegan, the hardest thing for me was cultural dishes that I couldn't get. And there's a lot of talk about this right now too, right? Plant-based is, can be so great and so healthy and so good for our environment. And um, it's not it's not always accessible, mm-hmm. right? There's all this socioeconomic status that goes into this. There's certainly race and culture stuff that happens with it. There are certainly vegans that are wonderful and vegans that are like not great and can't see the intersections. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard. And so for me, what was really important was to uh, come to my veganism in a way that I could hold all these pieces. And so I, I like to say that my secret talent is that I make a really wonderful Hawaiian vegan mac salad. And uh, for folks that know plate lunches, it is totally different than like a 
than like the kind you get at Ralph's mm-hmm. <laughs> out here on the mainland. <laughs> yes, it is. As a fan of Hawaii, <laughs> I'm always on the hunt when I go to Hawaii. Like I've been to Oahu, Kauai, and Maui. I'm always on the hunt for the best Mac salad. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm so sad we didn't get to cook together. I will make. This I know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I always think like that was such this important piece that I had at every like at every big holiday. Right. It's like it's it's a version of meat and potatoes. Like when we do like meat and rice and Mac salad, Hawaii mm-hmm. folks. So it was such this important thing to be able to make a really good vegan Mac salad that I could take back to my family. So they weren't so suspicious of my veganism, which was probably one of their most suspicious coming outs. And I've had a lot of coming outs in my life with my family. And that was the <laughs> hardest for them to get over by, by, by leaps and bounds. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so, like, I like to think that that's, that's my, I can make, like, a good, like, anti-Mac salad is my, I feel my secret talent. That is terrific. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm hungry for Mac salad. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we see each other. Yes. Now we're going to jump into the listener questions, um, and I have three for you. So the first one comes from, I I feel like I should explain who this question is coming from for context. So this question comes from a 40-something gay man, and he asks, It seems that we've become so lax about safe sex. There are so many drugs for HIV that condoms nowadays seem like somewhat of a pariah. What is the balance between being sexually free while being safe and responsible? Yeah, I think I think that's very true. I've certainly seen that. And I work with, you know, when I add on those that the Q to the LGBTQ, I want to start by saying that really I work with more queer folks than I do necessarily like cis gay men or even... Um, cis like lesbians mm-hmm. um that I really work with a lot of queer and gender queer folks but I totally hear that from that standpoint and I think over the course of time luckily and like in this wonderful very fortunate way you know medical technology has really helped to you know make make a diagnosis like HIV not not a death sentence mm-hmm. you know and so that has been this really wonderful thing that has happened but I have certainly seen in my practice, and I'm I'm sort of like catch the tail end of it, and I'm also not a cis gay man. I know folks can't see me, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a I'm an AFAB queer human, um, and so assigned female at birth. I don't know if that's a thing folks would know on the show, but um, I did not know that. I was just going with it. I was just <laughs> nodding. <laughs> queer AFAB means queer assigned female at birth human. Um, and so, you know, my experience is very different, but I mm-hmm. certainly, you know, grew up in a time when, you know, hearing about the quote unquote AIDS, AIDS crisis, right? And, you know, what that looked like and how the gay community really held a lot of the civilization around, around that and did all these wonderful and amazing things for safe sex and reproductive health and all of that. Like that, that came from our, like our queer communities who had this unfair thing thrust upon them, mm-hmm. right? You don't get HIV or AIDS from being gay. You get HIV and AIDS from having, you know, unsafe sex. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this, they like the community that I can't even claim to be like a part of that, like central core community did so much work 
for us to be at this place in time where we can have so many more choices. And I certainly have heard that, right, that I, again, like not being, you know, in specifically cis, cis gay male community or like casual sex community on that side, that that is, you know, much less of a, of a thing that folks worry about, the younger folks worry about. And I've seen sort of the generational gap between that and folks around the age of, it sounds like this listener, you know, having some grief over experience the world and sex in a very, very different way. They've held mm-hmm. stigmas that we will never have to fight for because they've done it for us. And they have also, you know, seen the communities around them really suffer and, you know, in, in worst case scenario, perish from, from this. And so for me, you know, when I talk to younger folks about this, and this is also a big thing, and I think, again, a, a signed female at birth um, folks that are sexually intimate with other signed female at birth folks, that there is also like sort of a, a laxness around safer, safer, I should say, sex. Mm-hmm. But I think that for me, when we talk about what was the word they use, sexual, was the freedom or sexual uh sexually free yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so you know for me I think like if we can be as safe as we can that and if we can communicate really clearly about our boundaries and our bodies and how our bodies are interacting with others then that is actually when we can be the most free in our sexuality Mm -hmm. but I don't have to worry that you know what is happening and you know what what may or may not what my risks are that I can be really clear on that I think that is a really important thing to be clear about with one another and certainly doesn't need to stop anyone's sexuality or even our intimacy with others but if we can be clear and talk about it and continue to do the work that the gay male community really took on for us if we can continue to forward that work I feel like it's our job to continue to forward that work and take good care of ourselves and continue to like stand up for these things that we've really fought for to say like this is about safer sex and we're allowed to do this and enjoy this like that's really the work that needs to be continued and really held up and honored because that work was done like I said when there was so much more stigma Mm -hmm. and prejudice attached to it yeah that I feel like it's part of my political action to be able to engage with others in a way that is really safe and talk about it and to continue to like de-shame that process Mm mm-hmm Awesome. Thank you. The next question is, and I actually learned a lot when this listener asked this question. So if one is into kink, how does one go about feeling out what their partner is into without freaking them out? And after they asked me this question, they went into the handkerchief example, which I was not aware of because I'm not, I was not a gay man in the seventies. Um, <laughs> but I guess there was this whole uh, system where you would wear a specific color of handkerchief on either side of your, you know, back pants pocket, symbolizing whether you were a top or a bottom and what fetish you were into, whether it was, you know, oral, anal, water sports, other things. It was just a really wonderful system, it sounds like. <laughs> a nonverbal system. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. back to the question. So how do you how do you express your kink to your partner without, you know, or how do you feel out if they're going to, I don't know, be into what you're into? <laughs> right. So you're right. Like, it's totally this cool nonverbal system. And, yeah. and folks, I still use it. But I think in this day and age with 
online dating and whatnot, we get to kind of like wear our hankies on our profiles, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, there are cool, even like social networking communities in and of themselves that are just based around BDSM and kink, like FetLife and, and places like that, where folks, you know, specifically go to, to talk about that and will we'll tag themselves to certain things and say what they're looking for really clearly. Mm-hmm. And so that's my, my first thought is, and I know this is much easier said than done, and I know I spend a lot of my days talking about sex and sexuality, so my answer is always like, well, you just tell them. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do this. But I realize that's not always a thing. So I think a few different ways. I think you have to practice. You have to, like, you know, put your toe in the water, um, check in for folks. I think a lot of times it's really important to remind folks that conversations are conversations and you can discuss something and that you are not expected to do it. I think that term like freaks someone out, right? It's hard. It's like, it usually is because it hits into someone else's getting like really afraid, right? That you're expecting Mm -hmm. something from them Mm -hmm. versus saying like, I've thought about this or this is really interesting to me. And we're not always great about that. Sex and shame are so connected. So I wish I could say, if you ask your partner in this one specific way, like they are going to react in this one specific way. But the Mm. truth of the matter is, is that sometimes we tell folks and whether they're conscious or not conscious might, again, purpose or not purposely shame us. Yeah. (laughs) We have to do a lot of that, I think, confidence building for ourselves and remember that we are all okay. And as long as it is consensual and we are not hurting anyone else, um, in ways that they don't want to be hurt. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. lots of fun ways um, to play with pain and eroticized pain and whatnot. But as long as we're not doing that in a way that is actually harmful that they don't want, that it is okay. Anything goes, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the more, I guess, literal functional ways to do that, I think it's always fun to do, like, uh, the sex toy store together to kind of walk around and look at things because then you don't have to bring one specific thing up. You can have, like, a wide array. Mm-hmm. I do, with my partner, Crystal, we do educational talks on pornography consumption and how we can do that with our partners in a really safe and intimacy building way versus pornography is often thought, I think, to like take intimacy from relationships because you are finding your sexual outlet there versus with your partner. Mm -hmm. Um, But really in the same way, it's this wonderful chance to get to watch something and not to have to try it and to understand that it's still the magic of movies, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what do we think of that? And sometimes it goes as far as that. For some folks, like, the good part is talking about it. It's the fantasy. Mm -hmm. And so to, you know, to know, like, there's no pressure and no expectation is how I like to set the stage. And then however else you want to get that conversation started is kind of up to you. But Mm -hmm. I wish that, yeah, I wish that, like I said, I could promise one line of questioning was going to make it happen perfect. But it just does every time. And you have to remember that you get to do whatever you want and you shouldn't be ashamed of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the last listener question I have is one that I like to ask every guest. So this is, if you weren't working in therapy, what other types of work would you pursue or be interested in? I, I'm giggling because I told Tatiana before this message that I was going to say, um, uh, phone, phone sex operator, but that my partner's <laughs> going to give me a dirty look from across the room. So... <laughs> So I I won't. I definitely didn't say that. Um, (laughs) I think that I probably would have, like, wanted to be a microchet empire. Crafting is totally Mm -hmm. a thing for me. Totally a serial crafter. I love all the crafts. And or I think I would want to have, like, a vegan plate lunch truck. 
Ooh. Which I talked about one time with one of my, I'm using finger quotes again, uncles in Hawaii, everyone's auntie and uncle. Uh, but I was trying to convince him. I was trying to convince, I was sitting with Uncle Rick eating lihimoi, which of Hawaii folks, you know what lihimoi is, Tatiana? I don't think so. <laughs> They're like these little dried plums that have this like special seasoning on it. Hawaii folks okay. will know what it is. But we were drinking lihimoi and having a beer, and I was trying to convince him that really our life paths, so he should open a <laughs> vegan plate lunch truck with me. Oh my gosh. I think, yeah, I think that if therapy falls through, the world suddenly is not shitty to each other and everyone is happy, Mm -hmm. I will uh, go find Uncle Rick and try and convince him to open that plate lunch truck with me. And I just have to say from personal experience, like several years ago when Tracy and I, we were in a craft show together in LA, I was vegan the whole weekend because I was like, I'm just going to eat what she eats. (laughs) And by the end of the weekend, I felt so good. Like I normally, I'm normally not great with dairy. And my whole life, I was like, you know, anytime I drink coffee at with creamer, I know I'm going to feel crappy afterwards. But that was just the norm. And then just after this weekend, like I had, I remember I had like a quote unquote pulled pork sandwich that was made out of jackfruit. And it oh, tastes yeah, amazing. It was so good. Yeah. Just yeah. everything we had was like mind blowing to me. And I was like, there are so many really great vegan options. But you're right in that, you know, it's not accessible to everyone. Like, not everyone is going to have a great vegan restaurant in their town that has mm-hmm. ready made vegan options. But, yeah. um, pork jackfruit sandwiches. <laughs> exactly. But now, like with YouTube and like Trader Joe's now carries jackfruit in a can. I think it's becoming more accessible and easier to navigate, I guess. But that was a super fun experience for me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. dairy has all kinds of interesting relationships to like allergies and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, That I've heard that from so many folks and including myself, like when when I don't have any contaminated food and stuff, my allergies, my migraines are totally different. Yeah. Yeah. My acne. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even do it for fully health reasons, but it's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Well, cool. So I guess we'll move on to one of the next questions, which is what are you looking forward to this week? And it doesn't have to be work related. (laughs) Yeah. So my stuff is is still kind of work related this week. (laughs) I'm in this wonderful Palm Springs, uh, Tatiana Messages, I'm in Palm Springs, so I'm doing a little work weekend away, but I'm really excited. I'm going to dig into, for Everyday Feminism, I have a non-monogamy workshop coming up, just like a non-monogamy 101, uh, which I'm really excited about. Like I said, the sex and dating after trauma was amazing, but of course, like really heavy content, and so I love, I love non-monogamy stuff. I think I thought I was actually going to do more of that community family building stuff and being in Orange County, there was just a need for LGBTQ stuff. So I ended up doing a lot of that work, which I also love. It's also my like family and community, but that's, I love social kinship network building and how we do that and uh, all the alternative ways that we can build family and relationships is just my jam. Mm. So I am ready to go sit by the pool and I have like this amazing book of kimchi cuddles, which Holly folks, again, will know this. They're like a comic book. They make comics. Oh. Uh, so I have a great, like, polyamory, actually a polyamory comic book I'm going to sit down and read. And I'm just getting into, like, digging into all that stuff and getting a really fun workshop ready for folks to talk about it in intersectional, how we can do it in an intersectional and ethical way. So I'm really excited about that. That sounds amazing. We're, well, going to the next question, 
which is, do you have anything you'd like to plug? I want all of the links for all of these things for the website because it sounds amazing. But is there anything you would like to plug? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that. Like, that's coming up. We That should be posted probably on Everyday Feminism in maybe, like, the next couple of weeks or so. Okay. Because um, okay. it's going to happen at the beginning of August. But it'll certainly be on my website and my social media, which I will give you all the links. Um, and it'll be on Everyday Feminism. So that'll okay. pop up there. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also starting a bit of a new project. I mean, it started already. I should say it started already. Um, Melden Men, which is going to hold more of my coaching practice and educational stuff. And so, you know, in that side of it, I'm working, it's an inter- we call it an intersectional wellness laboratory. And our little tag is that we need to have healing in all these bases. So starting with wealth, health, and happiness, we're going to bring in other clinicians. But our uh, wealth is uh, my partner, Crystal Penn, who does marketing and so can help with like personal brand building and things like that. And I'm health and I do a body health coaching that goes into my private yoga and sort of education around mindfulness and self-care. And then Hudson Han is a professional dominatrix in L.A. and just amazing a musician and a singer and just kind of all around wonderful human. And she actually has a workshop coming up at Pleasure Chest in on the 14th i believe if that's a sunday i'll give you the link but oh i'm sorry it's later but so melt and then we're putting we're starting to put out workshops so conscious kink was done under that the one i did in san francisco mm-hmm. um and then hudsey's gonna do a workshop at pleasure chest in la so lots of good sex positivity cool. the workshop at the end of um, july is touch on yourself toys and so she's gonna have a can have a professional dominatrix tell you all about how to do fun things <laughs> wow i'm sure she knows how to command an audience yes <laughs> that was my dad joke of the day Um, well, Tracy, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was incredible. <laughs> thank you for having me. I feel so grateful. Just the title of the podcast. I don't know if I'm worthy, but I will take it. Oh my I gosh. I will take it and be grateful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, to learn more about Tracy, Compassionate Revolt, MeldXMend.com, and other topics we've covered on this episode, head over to our website, BrilliantBabesPodcast.com where you can also listen to previous episodes, check out our event calendar, and get the recipes for the dishes we make for each episode. Today's recipe was Jenna's Magical Pharaoh and Corn Salad. Stay tuned for episodes every other Tuesday. Take care, everyone.